0: You're listening to the 2022 Nelson Arts Festival, Puka Puka Talks. This session, Wawata, features Hinamawa Elder in conversation with Olivia Hall.
1: Te marae no taitokura uh, no mai hara mai no mai hara mai ki te te waka no mai hara mai ki faatau uh, imehine i tia koe te maru o tatau tā tamatoa tā faritupuna Kakati imehine i nei ki a uh, koe hi he uritine o te uh, marae kura a rarua iho nō no tainui waka, mirina rina puhipuhi meihana nō no Kurahaupo waka. I mehi nei, kia koe, mai, whakatau mai.
0: <coughs> te whare e tūnei au e, kā mai, te marae koto nei, kā E te hiwi, te hiwi, he tau nei, kō katoa. E i roro o tō kūfare, ko te reo mihi tērā. rā aku taringa te tai o pārengarenga e ana i te taha o tō tātou waka ko kurahaupo tera. Ka titiro whakatiraki atu ki muri motu, i hoki maharā ki tū matahina, no tainui ia. Me tana mahi e orai tīwi, e aiki aia te kuaka ranga, ko tahi manui tau ki te tahuna, tau atu, tau, atu, tau atu. Tahi kuaka e mihiana, ana, ki āko e, te haukaenga, ki āko tau katoa.
1: Um, I wish I could sing that well, so uh, we'll just start with this. Um, kia ora, it gives me, everybody, my name's Olivia Hall and it gives me the great, uh, it's a great honour to be here with you, Dr Moore Aura, to talk not only about a book, but we've, um, we're pretty excited just to have a bit of a cordial and pretend at times that we have no audience at all here. Don't take that personally, <laughs> Um So I'm sure you all know of the many pūkinga of this wonderful wahini here. And they uh, varied from uh, multifaceted, from broadcasting, to to te reo, to psychiatry, and of course, to author. So I wanted just to sort of open it up... Um, and you can start have as long as you like your journey to becoming an author and your journey to what, what prompted you. You're obviously very busy, so it wasn't like you had a lot of spare time. So what sort of got you first to write Aroha and that journey to there? Oh.
0: No, no, no jokes. Oh Olivia, it's my it's my pleasure. Um I'm so honoured to be here in your place, in your guys' on your guys' whenua, uh, in the most extraordinary part of the country, Whakatū. Um, and it's an inspiring place to come. As an aside, I was thinking about, and it is related, the, the last time I was here was pre-COVID, and I was here for a Mental Health Review Tribunal hearing. So I am the only Maori psychiatrist at the moment on the New Zealand Mental Health Review Tribunal. And we're a quasi-judicial group and we go around the country to hear applications from people treated against their will under compulsory treatment orders under the Mental Health Act. So that's a vi- it's, a, it's a huge responsibility and very important in terms of people's human rights when they are um, grappling with severe mental illness. So that's the last time I was here. In your guy's place. And and a, in my role as a psychiatrist, I do, um, in my training, I, I reflected a lot on how to continue to bring forward our culture, uh, all the wonderful resources, the puna danga of, of te ao Māori in a safe way, in an honouring way, in a way that was meaningful and so, uh, both of both of my books are uh, my attempts to do that. I have to say, first and foremost, for our own people, um, we are still living in a colonising country. We are all colonised in some way or another. It affects us all intergenerationally differently. And I see in my in my role as a psychiatrist the very clear impact of colonisation, both. As it was in the past, and it, as it is today, on the mental wellbeing and and distress of of particularly Maori and and of other people, so I could see the confluence of resources from Te Ao Maori, the importance of connectivity with, with the natural world, Papatuanuku Tangaroa, ah, the Wai Tapu Tāne, the sacred forest of Tane and that when uh, we are more connected, as Māori in particular, but I would also argue that that's true for everybody, when we're more connected to our planet, our Mother Earth, uh, we feel better. And in fact, I saw in The Guardian this morning, there's an article showing that, uh, again, um, conventional science takes a while to catch up to indigenous wisdom, that uh, young people's mental health is, is better, is improved quite clearly, measurably, uh, when when our young people are engaged in activities in the natural world. So Aroha um, was about the inspiration that um, I, I experienced through Kurereo, and, and Olivia and I have both been students of Kurereo, um through Te Wharehuia's, um influence on us and his love and his passion for Fakataoki, Fakatawaki, the proverbial sayings, these sort of, I think of them as sort of Da Vinci Code, multi Da Vinci Code devices that when you unlock them, they, they, they spill out so much knowledge and wisdom that still um, helps us today. So the, the different proverbial sayings in aroha, which I think are manifestations of aroha in all of its forms, not only some sort of moonlight and roses kind of love, but also this um, fierce protection that we that we feel deeply about taking care of our planet and of each other and of ourselves. And using those things in clinical practice, I could see really was helpful for people. And then Wawata. So um, I don't know, ma- many people I think have been using maramataka for many years. I remember, and, and I dug some old ones out actually, um, when, I, when I started getting more and more into and obsessed, if you will, with the idea of of writing this book. I dug out my old diaries, my old maramataka from the mid-2000s. And it was really (laughs) interesting to just go back in time, the real time capsule, to think about where I was at in my life back then. And COVID actually got me to knuckle down. And I I was an emergency worker or um, essential worker, essential worker in, in COVID. So I was busy, but at the same time, I could see that I needed something to balance me out and keep me keep me sane, keep me going, um, because those were really, really dark times, as, as we all know. So maybe I'll stop there.
1: Awesome. I think um, what I've loved about them, and you've sort of touched on them, is how accessible the that you you've made, how you've written them as a very accessible way for whānau Māori who may not, um, who may not have been raised with those teachings, to be able to access and feel that that deep connection that it is written for them, even though it is from potentially their own tupuna. It is the matauranga coming back to them, but how accessible it is, Mm. and not just for Māori but for non-Māori to to be able to engage. Um, It's also quite a um, feminine personal journey, and so I think that that sort of applies the same as with uh, the Māori, but women are able to, it's like having a conversation, you're having a conversation with other women about things very particular to women, but it's still accessible to males or to uh, gender diverse to also be engaging with it. So that, uh, I just sort of want to acknowledge that, how accessible that matauranga is and in layers there's so many layers that you can sort of go through it once and get these bits and then come back and get other ones and different parts are speaking at different times to you um, so because we, we um, because it is so accessible and, and that that openness and that, that sharing of yourself through them um, maybe you might want to touch on how people respond to you now because you were because of your previous broadcasting, you were an, a known person anyway in the public, but this is this is you getting to tell your story, not not the media telling a story on you. And so it's a different, I wondered if you wanted to touch on that.
0: Sure, yeah, I, and, and it's interesting, cause look, I mean, I, I, I did some stuff in children's TV in the early 90s, many people in the audience probably weren't even born then. Um, or maybe you were, I'm not sure, I can't see you all. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I was, I suppose, I had, uh, people knew a bit about me back then, and then um, maybe I was sort of just beavering on with my medical um, work for, for quite a few years, but yeah, pe- people do um, message me a lot, um, and, and I just, I met a woman uh, as I was arriving here today, and she didn't expect to see me, she didn't know about the this event now, and she just started crying, and, and we held hands and she said, oh, I've been going through a rough time and your book really helped me. And and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm so humbled by that. I'm so glad that that's, that's how it's worked for you. It's been useful. So I do get a lot of messages like that. Um, you know, some from people who are going through and they, they tell me a lot about their, their lives. And that's, um, you know, that that's really precious that people choose to do that. So if there are some, you know useful things about these words that we write
1: on, on bits of paper, then then that's great. Um, you spoke of the maramataka. I have to say personally for myself, I'm I'm not a gardener. Uh, I'm not much of a cook. Um, and all of the... Uh, I know my husband's in here and he'll be laughing loudly. Um, or, maramataka, when they had first been sort of brought to my attention years ago, they were always sort of based around gardening and tau and it never really resonated with me to learn more. I've, I've got a variety of things to learn more on, and it was I never prioritised it. However, um, you know, your book has flipped the maramatanga on its head, and it speaks to hinna, and it speaks to um, our atawa wahine, and it speaks to all the... Um, emotions and as humans and, and uh, the the cycles of the moon as tohu as well as sort of, um, so it really brought uh, the maramataka alive for me and um, so just around that interpretation of it has been really beautiful, especially, uh, obviously I'm a Māori wahine, so all of these amazing, you know, Hini nui te pō, Hini yeah. te iwa iwa, um, I, all of these amazing Atua wahine, like having their stories told where they are the central. I love in uh, Rona mm. uh, and, and that, that the tanga that was shown to her was yeah. actually emphasised not the, the not the hara, not the... Mm. Uh, and, and thought that was really beautiful. So I wondered how... That was just a personal journey that kind of got you there yeah it it really was and and
0: similarly in those early days of of maramataka i i don't know maybe that's just my natural inclination and hey you know I, i i am a psychiatrist so i think i've always been very i've been fascinated by how we tick how we feel um, that that emotional energy, the way to actually like the vibe, the intuition that we sense about ourselves and other people, and what we need to feel better, being in the natural world. So, um, I always wrote down my feelings on the different days of the Maramataka, and I'll be like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going fishing, so <laughs> I'll just leave that to the side. Um, I do do some gardening, so I am I am kind of into that. Uh, but not not, not uh, uh, that's not my kind of key focus, if you will. So, what I found when I was really um, delving into wanting to mm, open myself up to what is going on today and tonight in terms of Henna, and what came up were the stories of our of our women uh, of of this time of this era. You know, women like Fire Moi, uh, Hinewai Dangi, um, Hinewaihi Mohi. You know, we've got some incredible women who have um, drawn a line in the sand and and done something extraordinary. You know, when you think about Dame Hinewaihi singing the national anthem in Te all those years ago, and what an uproar that caused. And now, I mean, isn't it beautiful? And we saw her singing it again recently, to see how far we've come as a nation, uh, as as Tiriti partners, in that sense. Still got a, f- a fair way to go, of course. So those were stories that came forward, and then there were stories from my own, um, from home, about. Um, so, Fangatauatia is a is a wahine from. Lived in Te Rarua by the beach, and when you go to Ahipara, you'll see a beautiful Moana there, and that's that's um, that's Talk about her other um, wahine tupuna from from the north, like uh Tuku, who was a woman who went blind. She was one of our matakite, uh warrior wahine. Uh, also had quite a famous husband. But as far as you know, for me, she she's the one that I'm really most interested in, and I think it was just it was just freakish how as I was going through writing and adding, and what I did each day was I I would recognize what what Henna's face was saying on that particular day, and I would only write that particular one, and then the next day I'd have to change. So every month I would go around and around refining and adding and changing and just going, trying to go deeper and deeper into really tuning into what Henna was trying to say. I love that you brought up the issue of the Rona story. Mm-hmm. So I actually wrote that at the end when I'd written everything else because I was thinking about, hey, you know, this is w- arguably one of the f- most famous stories about Hina and Rona, right? just hadn't felt right as one of the stories throughout Hina's cycle. So the book takes you on a journey through 30 30 days and nights and and invites us to just free our minds and dream, right? This is this wawata concept. And so at the end, I was was just hearing this other voice about where does Rona come in? You know, she was sort of having a chat with me there. And I realised that I actually wanted to write a dedication in Te Reo. And you know, as as my second language, and I'm sure there are many people here who um, are on that journey too. It's a tough one, and we kind of have to keep forcing ourselves to go outside our comfort zone and and do something do something that really stretches us. And so I thought, I'm going to write I'm going to write my dedication to Hina in Te Reo Maori and it's going to be my take on on the story of henna and ronna because conventionally we hear the story about which has a sort of punitive vibe to it where you know many of you will know ronna's going to get water and a cloud crosses henna's face and so it becomes dark and Rona trips on the root of a tree and she swears she probably says some you know, reo, or something like that. And uh, and Hina does not does not appreciate that. And and so traditionally what, what we tend to hear is that you know she's she's taken away from her her environment into Hina's realm. And there there she stays and then you can see her when the moon is, uh, when Henna's face is, is illuminated. So, Ōturu, nui, rako matahi, matahi, that sort of part of the, the cycle. And I thought, well, I'm not sure that I completely agree with that um, interpretation because it seemed to me that Henna's response was also a loving response and that she was saying, hey, okay, um, come and look at things from my perspective come and be with me, come and keep me company. And and it felt like a very loving relationship. So that's,
1: that's the beginning of the book. I think a lot of uh, the wahine that you talk to in there, um, as you've sort of touched on there, some of them are angry mm. and some of them are sexual and some of them, you know, all... It's about the multifaceted, rather than a very narrow, often quite colonised view yes. of Māori women. Yes. Um, I'm lucky enough to be from an iwi that that is named after a female. There are some stories of of the the females of the tribe used to sit around the fire and strategize while the men uh, cooked and cared for the children. So all of these stories help you draw on different views. Um, you know, we still have a number of uh, Um, queer who are wahine toa um, in in our rohi uh, now and all of them have shown me personally different styles of leadership and the breadth of it is extraordinary Uh, rather than sort of you you get to one day become the grumpy queer or the lovely queer (laughs) and they are the two (laughs) <laughs> um, that you can choose from. And so I think just that, that breed that you've touched on, I uh, want to really acknowledge that. Mm, thank you. I think this is such an important issue
0: for us as, as women. And and so I have written the book primarily for women and for anyone who loves women. <laughs> and we all love our mothers, right? So I think that, that embraces everybody. Um I I am fascinated by and keen to support efforts, and this is just one small effort on my part, but to support efforts for us as women to come together regularly. I think um, certainly from our uh, Māori traditions, we know that women came together uh, back in the day and and still do in, in different settings. To have that intergenerational passing on of stories, of the nuances, of the grey zone that we live in, that it doesn't have to be the grumpy or the nice. Uh, there's all the shades in between. Um, and and I would love to see um, that more of that happening. And, and if, if my little book is is one catalyst to encourage us as, as women within our whānau, within our whānau, whānau, hapū, iwi, to recognise the importance of that, to recognise the um, the potential for healing that that brings when we get together, and for laughter and for silliness. I mean, I've also um, talked a bit about a couple of, a couple of, more than a couple of fun and, and um, saucy things in the book. So um, one of the, one of the, my favourite kind of convos that I share is about kahungunu. So there'll be some, uh, descendants of Kahungunu in the audience, I, I'm sure, because you know he has descendants uh, in many places, uh, and and Kahungunu was born in Kaikoura, so you know we, we, we have a sense of uh, of love and, and uh, for for Kahungunu. So Kahungunu was apparently very well hung.
1: I've heard that too. I've yeah, that.
0: yeah. And it, whenever I talk about kohonganu, of course, I think about our precious Moana Jackson, who, who sadly passed away um, recently. And I remember him giving a talk at a conference, and he was actually quite a naughty keynote, a bit of a mischief. And, and he, he, at this particular doctor's hui, he, um, he talked about how he was descended from kohonganu, the greatest lover of the Maori world. And so Kahunganu was, you know, was uh, definitely had uh, some prowess in that department, for sure. And so he was with a woman called Hinepuariari, and she talked about how when they were having sex, that the the bulk of his penis was actually outside of her vagina, because it was just so huge. <laughs> and, you know, our, our ancestors were not prudish. They just told it like it was and this is recorded this is not me making this up this is well recorded and so back in the whatever Instagram of the day was <laughs> this this message got transferred to Rongo Mai Wahine, who as you all know would later become um, his partner and she said well better come over here then because he can drown in this huge <laughs> vagina. <laughs> right? I mean, this is fabulous. And, and so I, I think this is another part of female humour and embracing our bodies and, and, and rejecting um, the, some of the norms of the day, which are about, you know, you have to have a certain kind of body... To be attractive, or um, well you have to, you know. I, I we don't hear too many women talking about the fact that having a really big vagina is 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 great. Obviously, for all oh, my wine, it was it was it was you know the go-to. <laughs> so, having uh, using humor, mm. and in Tau Māori, we have our own particular humor. Uh, so that was one, that was one story, and then I was thinking about. Um, yeah, and that's around all to do the beauty and reclaiming the fun that we have with with beauty, rather than it being this um, these horrible rules that um, can make us feel so unhappy and and miserable and, and never and never content with our own bodies, you know that's that's just that's wrong, isn't it? And maybe one one of the other stories I was that I share. Um, Oh, there's so many others. Well, one, you know, hene te right? So I was involved in some research looking at a device for measuring the pressures inside the body. And so we know that urinary incontinence and prolapsed uterus are big problems in, in our Māori community, in particular, but for all women. And any Māori woman in the audience who've ever played netball, um, you know, the stories are about, you know, let's wear lots of pairs of undies, because all that jumping around, right? Am I right? It's, you know, it's a challenge to keep control. And so um, I was involved in this research project and, and I said to the, the people who had developed this device, the prototype, well, you're going to have to get some, some groups of Māori women together on a marae and we'll have to talk about it. And we have to uh, perhaps int- introduce the idea. I suggest we introduce the idea, talking about hinenui Te because, of course, the story of Maui wanting to uh, reverse the, the birthing process and bring immortality to human beings. So he turned himself into a tuatara and was proceed. She was, Hine Nuitapo was having a sleep, yeah, and he proceeded up the birth canal, and there was a piwaka waka watching and cracking up because this was just, look, must have looked ridiculous. And so, of course, she woke up and she crushed him with her pelvic floor so I was like hey you know we we, we need to uh, draw on these stories of this you know I'm not saying we've got the deadly hidden <laughs> poor pelvic floor but we've got we've got a mortal version which we can certainly improve yeah so the, there's there's a few there's a few stories uh, like that in the book too
1: yeah and I think for uh those that Uh, haven't yet had the opportunity to read it. Now they're very interested um, uh, to see if this is their next 50 shades. (laughs) Yeah, well. I wonder if we want to shift you also, how you grouped different parts Mm. of the book together is is like a kapaka performance. It's also a really unconventional, uncolonised view. So I wondered if you wanted to sort of talk about that because it's a fascinating other layer added um, around how it relates to different parts of um, what would be a kapaka performance. Mm,
0: thank you. Yeah, so
1: um,
0: I suppose we, we've all we've all come across the idea of the sort of the music of the spheres. And I don't know about you, but there's so many songs about the moon and, and in Te Māori, there are many songs about hina and the Marma. And it struck me one day, and I actually think I started dreaming about it. This is weird when you, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when you start to get into a kaupapa, it does start to come up in your dreams, literally. That's what happens for me anyway. And so I, I also love kapahaka. I'm I'm a very basic performer. I'm in the back. I'm not the front row, I'm not front row material. Um, but I do love to to watch Kapak, and I've been to Te Matatini, um some a few times, and it's just a joy. So if any of you get the chance to go in Tamaki in February next year, please come along. It is it is a life changing thing to to observe. So it struck me that actually the the different disciplines and the order in which they're performed was really help, really helped me. To group the moons and and the, our our tubana give us some clues. You know we have Kore, kore moons and Tamatia moons and Tangaroa moons. So there are some natural groupings. The Rako moons, uh, when when the, when Hina's face is fully illuminated. So um, yeah, so that's what I did. As and also as a huge homage to our all of our Kapahaka people, who, you know, it's it's an absolute vocation. People who uh, uh, perform in kapa haka, that's what they do, that every weekend they're rehearsing. And uh, aren't we lucky that they do that for, for all of us, to, to uphold reo and tikanga, and to bring that to a, d- to a different audience, to a younger audience often, which is, we were talking earlier, how to encourage our, our uh, tamariki, mokopuna, our rangatahi, to come to come back and see the relevance of our of our culture, and so um, yeah, so I, I grouped it like that. And the other thing that I I was pr- I was pretty staunch with the publishers, uh, to, to because I wanted I didn't want the table of contents to be linear. I wanted it to go around and around because one of the challenges of any book or any diary is it has a beginning and an end, and to me. That was uh, that was sort of cutting across and going against the energies of of the cycle, that Hina is encouraging us to just um, tune into. So there were lots of there were lots of musical themes in my mind, and so the the entrance onto the stage, the Faka has that sort of punchy entrance quality. So you've got all that the blackness, and then. A tiny chink of light, uh, the door, Hina's doors opening, and then you see the the light grow, and the wave of light and energy grow and grow, and then you've got more teatia, the more bracket, which for me is um, really helpful way to think about the more moons, because they um, the tomatia phase. And for and for us in Opodi, and I and I luckily and I can tell that story too. Luckily enough, um, was was allowed to share our our okoro, as it's called for us, our our maramataka from Opodi. So um, yeah, there were so many synergies, and then the waiataringa, the the movements, the the beautiful, often quite flirtatious, beguiling movements, which take us through some pretty grunty, sort of sexual times of the month. Um, fertility comes up also, and then we come into the poi. So we've got the, the two rako nights where Henna's face is absolutely fully illuminated. And it seemed to me that was pretty obvious as celestial poi. So the more I kind of got into it, the more it made sense <laughs> to me. And as I went around each month, then following on from that, the haka, and that's where the kori kori moons come into. They're quite, they're quite. Uh, they've got their own sort of rhythm. And then as we as we are s- leaving that that moonlit stage, we have our final farewells, the uh, whakawatea, the clearing of the way to what Peter Te Rangihiroa called. Um, the developmental gods, so there we've got Tani and Rongo and and Tangaroa, and then coming back around through and today is Mauria. Um and then we've got Motuvena and then we're back to Fedor, so um, yeah, there's there is that other layer and um, I was I was quite you know I was quite cautious about it initially because I thought well I don't want to upset any of my my friends and colleagues from the Mātātini um, realm, um, but hopefully they will see that as just my way of acknowledging their the beautiful work and how important their work is. There's actually recently been some great research come out of Te uh, Maramatanga about the health benefits of Kapahaka and of Mātātini in particular. So I think we're all we're all kind of coming at these things uh, from our own perspectives, but really honing in on oranga and how we can um, lift up things for our people. Mm
1: -hmm. I think um, I also am, uh, I'm lucky if I'm a back row kapaka performer, Uh, not because uh, I'm a single poi girl, I never got much further than that, Um, but what I love, uh, particularly in the bit about more and it's not the only place but through the book it also acknowledges times of reflections and times of sadness and you know and you're quite clear in that moving through that so I think you even talk about some of us are doers and it's very uncomfortable to sit in some of those spaces which is about reflection so it isn't sort of this everybody here's a book on everybody seeking happiness it's actually around sitting through things um, and, and the kapaka bracket concept kind of touches on all the the facets of te ao. and so it was a, uh, I really liked it but that sort of wonder if that deepening into sitting quietly with some harder things in life and, and that they'll come each month, that actually to ex- expect a month where you aren't uh, thinking of people that have passed or struggling with Negative emotions was a really powerful way to sort of uh, communicate um, how how we can better move through um, through our day. So mm. I think I think that's right, and I'm I'm glad
0: that that's what came through for you because if if there's anything that we learned from the COVID experience is that well, there's no one COVID experience, um, and it challenged every far note in different ways. And so I also wanted the book which is which is one of the purposes that I was really focusing on was how to how to provide some resources for people no matter where they're at, recognizing that we do get to go around and around every month and that HINA does give us a chance to touch on all the difficult things. Um, Yes, it's, this is definitely not a book about happiness and being happy every day. I, I'm not sure that I believe that that's feasible or even a, a goal that I would... Um, I don't aspire to be happy every single day as some sort of... Uh, it, w- it would feel bland, I think. It wouldn't feel real. It would feel fake. So... The more, the more I think Henna takes us into the natural ebbs and flows of the month, it normalizes those things for us. And I think it does bring a sense of acceptance that there are gonna be hard days and there wa- that the hard days don't last forever. There will be some other ways to reflect upon the difficulties of the day through through hina, through some of the things maybe that you read in the book, and through, if the book inspires you all to go and talk to your your kuya, your mums, your sisters, your nieces, your aunties, or maybe if you are that person for other people in your whānau, to invite them to come and talk to you and share stories, so that it sort of builds that kete of, uh, understanding our emotions and that, that emotions do ebb and flow. One of the things that I think is, is crucial is how we actually help our young ones to to see how we are dealing with these difficult situations. It was a huge part of my mahi through COVID was, was um, seeing parents just like feeling bereft. Parents saying to me, I don't know how to cope with any of this, I've got no answers here, I've never been through anything like this before, I know nothing. And, and seeing the the desolation, the desperation of of our of our pakeke trying to help the the Tamariki. And so I think the natural world is offering us those kinds of solutions all the time. If we just stop and Reflect and think about well, what can I draw on today? The moon's always there. Uh, she's she's not charging, right? There's no there's no financial cost involved because let's face it, we are we are in hard financial times, and it looks like the financial times will get even harder. So we do need to look at things that are easily available, even if we can't see her. No, we know. She's there behind the clouds somewhere. We don't have to swear like Rona, unless we feel like it, right? Um, that might be quite a good release too. Um, but we know that those resources are there. And I, I hope that it it just um, yeah lights a little fire for for other people to think about where other stories of resilience might come from mm. and so people don't feel so alone and isolated because we've... We've really suffered
1: with that isolation, haven't we? And I think there's there's still a bit of a hangover from COVID, and for some people, the hangover is worse than the um, than the COVID experience. They've, they've, uh, I think we are still seen, and it, um, you're the professional. Um, uh, you know, people really struggling, even though sort of all the immediate danger has gone right down. Uh, either they're they're now having to uh, work out where to go forward because their plans forward may have changed dramatically because of the COVID situation. Their financial, their emotional, um, you know, that level of isolation impacted people really differently. Uh, you know, I know a number of instances where people loved that um, sense of their whanau all being together in a house. And yeah. uh, and then there's people that were by themselves for months and months on end and the mental um, trauma that that causes. So I think the, it's um, it has added this other layer of complication. I've already a complicated life and so resources, I think there are people looking for resources. We know how much the mental health system is struggling under the weight of need at the moment and so there needs to be uh, more uh, resources that sit outside of those. Yeah, I think that's quite right. That's certainly what we
0: see at work. Um, I'm at Starship Children's Hospital in the mother-baby unit and the child and family unit. And, um, yeah, we're seeing much more um, more complicated presentations, uh, whānau really struggling, whereas in the past, whānau might have had a bit more emotional buffer to, to support... Um, and to draw together to look for solutions for for themselves, that buffer has been wiped away. And, and you know, for a lot of people through lockdowns, actually, we know there was a lot more um, family violence, there was a lot more substance abuse, and that proximity was was really difficult for a lot of our tamariki. And at the same time, yeah, as you say, some of the people found it positive, so... It's about being able to hold all of that and say, "Yep, everyone's COVID experience was a little bit different," and how do we provide for all of that in a way that's honouring, in a way that's meaningful, in a way that's actually practical too? So, yeah, I, I hope that um, the Wawata book, which which is yeah about sort of l- loosening the the our own little mind prisons that we all carry around with us about you know well, those are my those are my things that I do and I don't do or the things that I tolerate thinking about or not thinking about, that we can just um, be more flexible and creative in the way that we think about things and to draw on the incredible uh, matauranga of our ancestors, which, which is still, you know, ha, has so much more to offer us. You know, I feel like this is just, just you know, the entry-level phase of some things and like you say... Um, you can come back to these, and, I, and I've, you know, I've been reading this, versions of this for the last few years. I come back to some of the kōrero and the stories, and there's an old saying, you know, iti te kupu nui te kōrero. Just a few words can hold a huge depth of, of um, backstory, if you like. So, um, yeah, I, I hope it's helpful. Just one of many things that people might choose to um, to
1: draw upon help at this time. Kia ora. Now, Moore has um, very kindly offered to have some space uh, in today's talk uh, for questions from the floor. Uh, we know, uh, we all know she's a psychiatrist and some people might want to tell their whole story, so <laughs> we just ask um, for you to refrain from that. She will be signing books and you'll be able to engage with her personally at that time. Um, but I think we're just going to raise the lights and if anybody can Kia See you now. Raise their hands if they have a question. Just to say too, there's a mic upstairs. So those of you upstairs,
2: if you want to raise a, a high hand so we can see you up there too. Kia ora. Kia ora.
1: Oh, it's a tani. <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> oh kia ora. <laughs> uh Kia ora korea. um firstly just a a great level of appreciation to both of you for taking the time to cordial to all of us and amongst amongst each other um i guess what, I'm, what what's sitting with me and what I'm hearing from from what you've said today anymore is is the the need to empower the feminine being. Um, so I guess my question is, as, ta- as a tāne and as a, I guess at a baseline ignorant, naive ta- ta-ne, Um how do we? What is the role that we play in in that empowerment, especially while we live it while we exist in our, in this patriarchal system? How do we? How do we? Or what, what's the? What's practical steps or things that we can do to try and make that happen? Or, or, or can we
1: just? Yeah. Oh, oh. he's, he's got. the list, wait right on. <laughs> so,
0: so, te tuatahi, te tuatahi e tama, a mihi nui ki And anyone who knows this man's mother, aunties, <laughs> sisters, please let them know, what a what a fabulous Māori man we have here. Um, What a ehopu manawa koe. So... Practical things you can do, and that we can all consider. Uh, I, th- I think honoring the women in, in life is, is a really important thing, and having a lot of self-awareness and an ongoing practice of vigilance. Uh, you know, uh, so, so thinking deeply about, for our men, about how you guys uh, talk about, think about, act, behave in in context with wahine, thinking about your legacy as a a tāne, thinking about how people uh, feel when they're around you and after they've met you and how they, when they think of you, what sort of emotions they have of feeling safe and protected and um, respected by you and finding ways to get really honest feedback about that, how you manage feedback w- from wahine who say uh, something that is they didn't appreciate about how you were around them, and how you um, uh, manage to let, and we've, I'm telling this to everybody, not just the tana here, right? How we all manage our egos around getting feedback about ourselves that we find quite... Um, uncomfortable about parts of ourselves that we're not that proud of, that we want to improve, recognizing that we're all growing and learning and and becoming the best best tupuna that we can be. Um, I think also acknowledging that, you know, within us all, uh, whether we identify as wahine, as tāne, as as, um, more gender fluid along that spectrum, that there are female energies in all of us, and there are male energies in all of us. And finding our own healthy balance of those energies is, is a lifelong journey. So I think the other thing I would say to you, Ahua, is to um, not be too hard on yourself. I think we're in a weird time, aren't we, where there's some sort of extremes around what it means to be a Tāne and what it means to be a Wahine. So I reflect on some experiences back home up in, um, in Tehiku where some of our tāne have not been around. And so our wahine have had to step into whānau and be both parents. And so it's hard for our wahine sometimes to actually step back a bit and make sure our tāne have space within Farno to be tāne and to not always take over just because we're super competent. Wahine doesn't mean we should be doing everything all the time. So, uh, I, there's just a few a few thoughts. I really appreciate your kōrero. Thank you so much. Nāmihi yeah. nui And, yeah, somebody tell this guy's mum.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do know who she is. Aha, aha, kawai, we have time for another Pātai. Kia ora. Kia ora. Hi. Hi. I just, I would like to say thank you for writing this
0: book as well. Um, my beautiful Wahini, she, she gave me this book not long ago and that's how I met you in a way. Um, and yeah, I was just, I'm, I'm going through a conflict, an internal conflict of accepting um, my internal Wahini and... Embracing and finding myself in a way, I guess, because I'm I'm so young, maybe. Um, but I would like to know from you if you have any guide guidelines, I guess, um, to to understand what is what is this energy and and how to connect to it and how to put that in my everyday practice. Because I feel I feel m- almost conflicted, and and where to to find it. We don't have a lot of time for me to answer that question, but I think succinctly I would say it's already inside you. You are seeking something that is already within you. All the answers are already within you. uh, And so it's it's often about finding what is the process to... Coming home to yourself. And and throughout life, we do this many, many times. It's not something you do once and go, okay, done. I know who I am now. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. Uh, we, we evolve and change all the time. And that's a big part of this book. It's trying to bring forward the importance of understanding some of our stages of growth, different things that we go through that I've gone through as a woman that maybe other people have gone through too. So I'd be kind to yourself. Uh, think about using uh, women, women's stories, women that you trust, uh, women's stories from your own whanau, whanui, things from henna. But th- at the, the bottom line is it's it's already there. So the conflict that you're having... Hmm... Um, might actually be about something else. So, more more
1: questions than answers. Thank you. (laughs) Kapai, have we got a quick one at the back? Because I'd like to open the floor then very briefly before I do my own acknowledgement to Hindi Moa. So we have one right at the back. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) 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 Yeah, aye. Korero mai. Kia ora.
0: Um, so, I'm just wondering, um, as being, like, very Pākehā, because um <laughs> um, every full moon um, at Tuhunanui Beach, there's a, a drum circle to, like, honour the full moon, which is really special. And also, I've been meaning to, um, and I, I always seem to run through on time, or I just sort of find it difficult to prioritise, like, incorporating honouring the moon, in all its phases.
1: Um, so, what is what
0: are some ways you could recommend, or th- sort of things I could incorporate into maybe like the drum circle at Te like the Toreo practices and tikanga, um, but do that as a pakiha, like with sensitivity, and um, that kind of thing. Kia ora. I think this is a this is a question that needs a much bigger whananga, because I think there are some very important issues to talk through about when. Somebody from a, a non-Maori, whakapapa or a genealogical background wants to engage with um, things Maori, and to do them in an honouring way. It's it's actually a, a really big subject. So I think one of the f- one of the things I suggest that you need to do to learn the right way to go about this and to learn how this might happen because. Actually, one of the answers might be that this is not the right place to incorporate things Maori. So I think just keep that in mind. But wherever this occurs, wherever this activity occurs, I suggest you need to talk to the home people of whom that is their whenua. So go and ask them; um, they will they will give you the correct response.
1: Kia ora. I definitely agree with that. That is a huge, um, a huge wānanga. You know, we, we know we have a number of uh, whānau Pākehā, uh in Te Tauihu and in Whakatū who, who are wanting to be allies and wanting to support, um, but there's that fine line of um, not moving into a space that needs to be left open for Māori and leave to be... So I, I think um, the... The aroha is felt in the question of the desire to whakamana things Māori, um, but I, I love your answer of, you know, kia Pato, it needs to have a, a big conversation, so beautiful pātai. Um So now, just before I acknowledge, just wondered if anyone um, had anything, not a pathai but anything that they would like to personally say to him more before we, we shut this down.
2: Some women I I've, I've barely know their names, but it's it's been a tonga for me that um, when I met myself and uh, came home to my um one of my dear beautiful sisters uh, gifted me aroha, the strength that I have gained from your kupu, from this uh, has elevated my. My life in many, many ways, and it has given me such a, an ability to feel my strength, my power, self-respect. Um, there's a massive group of us that have a like a book group. There's many of those Wahini beautiful sisters are here today, and um, we use this as um, it, it, it's just this Tonga that keeps us uplifted and reminds us on a daily basis. How special and amazing that we are, and I just want to thank you with all my heart for this, for your wisdom and for, and like you said earlier, Olivia, how you've brought it to a place that is accessible for all of us. Kia ora tātou, namahitatau, katoa.
0: Kia ora, Kia ora.
1: Oh, okay. Eti before they yank us off the stage. Um, yes. He tino nui ti aroha, te mehi kia kui moto pukenga moto fukaro uh, moto uh, aroha kero to i te mahi nei uh, i te tūkana, i mihi nei, ki a kui.
0: Vielen Dank.